All right, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It is an honor to be back with you to help finish up this book. We started it about, what, six months ago? And I had the opportunity to be here with you to get it started. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to be looking at a special passage today. Paul really shows his heart for his people. Very personable passage today. Paul is going to show us what it is like to live within the body of Christ and and how we should treat each other, what we should say, what we should do, how we should think. And um, we're going to look at, today we're going to look at seven different things that he's going to teach us. So as we get started, we will begin in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. By the, name, by the way, for some of you that don't know me, I'm Dan Osterhaus. I've known David a good while and, and many of you in here. All right, let's, let's study. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16.1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brethren, you know, the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house, and all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul, and if anyone does not love the Lord, he is accursed. Maranatha, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, my love be with you all, in Christ Jesus, amen. I don't normally read the whole chapter, but I wanted to get the whole chapter in our minds this morning. He's dealing with relational issues in this chapter, 
It really is a special chapter. When you look at it, you think, well, there's not a lot here, but there is. There's a whole lot here. Let's start in uh, verse 1. God is he's basically giving us seven things today, and we're going to go through all seven. They all start with a P. I've made it easy for you. All right, so the first thing he's showing us here is put aside what God has given us as the Scriptures teach. Put aside what God has given us. Now, concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. There's a lot of debate in the Christian community about how we give and how we tithe. And for some, their, their conviction is 10% based on the pattern started not, not even in the, when the law was given, way back till Melchizedek when Abraham gave 10%, okay? And you see that pattern throughout Scripture. You see that confirmed in Malachi, okay? Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you. You heard of Murphy's Law? So that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be, delight, be a delightful, uh, delightful in the land, says the Lord of hosts. This is a really neat principle here. Very seldom in Scripture does God say, okay, you do this and I'll do this for you. But here he does. And he says, you test me in this and I will prove to you, I will show you that you are being faithful and I will bless you in a special way if you tithe, if you give of what, you're, what you've been given. Now, all we have is God's, isn't it? We're just stewards, aren't we? So really all we have is the Lord's. I remember going down the road one day with a former pastor down Bar Row. We were going to visit a shut-in, one of our um, pastors, retired pastor's wife. She was in her 80s or early 90s, and she'd been up on a ladder painting and had fallen. And uh, probably shouldn't have been up there, but she, she was a go-getter. Leela Barnes was her name. And as we were going down the road, Pastor Joe asked me, I was about 23 he said, Dan, how's it going? How's your new job going? I said, Pastor Joe, it's going so well. I said, I'm just really blessed. I said, man, I've got more money than I can spend. And he turned to me instantly and he looked at me. He said, Dan, that's not for you. Money's not for you. And I, I thought, what's he talking about? And he said, uh, God has given you that to be a blessing to other people. And I've never had, up to that point had heard that. I mean, this is my income, my money. But it's really not ours, is it? All we have is God's, and we're just stewards of what He's given us. So Paul is teaching us here in this first verse to put it aside. Now, this was for the intent of the saints that were back in Jerusalem. <clears throat> he was actually collecting all over, and they think possibly the reason that there was so much need there was because he had put so many of their spouses to death, so many of the men. Uh, where he had even gone, over, gone uh, over to Damascus to extradite people from that country back to uh, Israel in order to cast his vote against them to their death, as it says, I believe, in Acts 16, when it describes just how evil he was before he came to faith. Is everybody with me there? Saul, before he became Paul, he's a rough guy. 
And as he took the lives of those people, they think that he left many widows. And so it may be that reason that he would get this collection together to send back. All right. Verse 3, when I arrive, whenever, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. What we see here is a pattern in, in verses 3 through 9 of doing this. Paul's planning ahead. Paul is planning ahead as the Lord wills, and that's the key, isn't it? James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15 say that, says this. It says, Come now, you who say, Tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for that you, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes? Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. And that's what God is calling us to. Is it wrong to plan ahead? Is it wrong to strategize in ministry? It's not, is it? But at the same time, we always need to remember that it's the Lord that we're serving, and it's His will that will determine ultimately what's… It keeps it framed correctly. It keeps our plans framed, whereas it's the Lord that's going to direct and guide. And we need to watch for His Holy Spirit to providentially lay that path. Now, the enemy tries to providentially lay paths for us too, doesn't he? So often we need wisdom because he opens doors as well. So we need to be careful. When we pray, we're expecting God to show us and guide us and direct us. And even though it may be um, and seem advantageous, it not all, it's not always that way. So we need to be careful to make sure that we're praying according to his will. Again, Put aside what God has given us and plan ahead as the Lord wills. In verses 3 through 9, he does this. He, sends, he plans ahead in three ways. He first of all plans to send personal letters to accompany the Corinthian church's gift to the church at Jerusalem. And number two, he plans on spending the winter with them, with the Corinthians, okay, not just in passing, to remain with them if the Lord allows, okay? Verse, and then the second, the third thing, I'm sorry, is he plans to remain in Ephesus where he is writing this letter from at this point until Pentecost where there is a great opportunity for him to serve. So he's planning and he's giving us the opportunity as well in our lives and wants us to plan ahead. Not only plan ahead in ministry, and up amongst ministry leaders, but plan ahead personally. There's nothing wrong with that. Now look at verse 9. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me in Ephesus, he's talking about, and there are many adversaries. Brothers and sisters, as we walk through life, as we minister for the Lord, we will have many adversaries. Over in Second uh, Timothy, it talks about the fact that if we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. That's part of the life that we live. We will be persecuted. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying he's going to have adversaries. First Peter 5.8, uh, our adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Stand firm. All right, so we've looked at, again, putting aside money, planning ahead, 
And now, the third section we're going to look at is in verse 10. He paves the way for other servants of the Lord. Very interesting here. It's a very relational ministry pattern that we need to see here. There's a lot of communication going on here, a connecting people, different people. And that is very, very, very important uh, for us to do as well. Look, 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 what he said in, uh, look what he says in verse 10. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. So what Paul is doing here is he's kind of he's laying the groundwork for Timothy. Now, why do you think people would be tempted to despise Timothy? He's young because of his age, right? And he probably struggled with that. He probably didn't feel very confident yet in the ministry, and he needed the support of the brothers and the sisters. We also know from 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul encourages him at one point to drink a little wine because his stomach was, was not doing well, okay? Now, back in that culture, they needed that because of the, some of the different uh, bacteria and so forth that were around back then, okay? And so, he encourages them with that. So, he's weak physically, okay? And we also know that he was weak emotionally in 1 Timothy 1.7, okay? That he needed encouragement. He needed confidence, okay? We also know in 2 Timothy 2.22 that he probably struggled with youthful lusts, as many of us have and many of us do who are younger, Okay, so Timothy is one who he's trying to pave the way for here. He's trying to lay the groundwork for his coming to the Corinthian church. And so that when they receive him, they'll receive him in peace, encourage him, love him, and support him in that ministry. He also talks about Apollos in verse 12, and he says, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. So, he loves his friends, he's paving the way. I got to hear a little bit of this a couple weeks ago. I was at the men's conference, and I went into uh, Pastor John's office over at the Lexington Church, and there was a guy sitting there, and I said, hello, and he said, come on in, come on in, and his name was Dennis Agagenian. He's a guitar player, and he's a world-renowned guitar picker uh, and guitar player, amazing guy, really, really neat guy. So we sat for an hour, nobody came in, we just sat there and talked, and I thought, you know, he needs somebody to talk to, uh, I'm not supposed to be in here now, I'm supposed to be doing something, but the, the Lord, the Spirit said, just stop, just stop and listen and talk. And I did. I set aside that time and just hung out with him. And during that time, he called Franklin Graham twice. He called, called Will Graham once. And he was coordinating with Greg Laurie for the Harvest Conferences out in California with Will, who's, who's 39, he's Billy Graham's grandson, uh, to, to help him with the conferences out there. And it was interesting, the talk and the lingo was very much like this here. It was very loving and kind. When he hung up with Franklin, Franklin obviously told him he loved him because he said, I love you more. 
And he was the same lingo with Will. It was very endearing, very loving. And um, God wants us to talk like that. He wants us to love each other. He wants us to have each other's back. He wants us to connect with one another and pave the way for one another when one of us is going somewhere and we might know somebody on the receiving end. Does that make sense? We're the family of God. We're the body of Christ. And that is exactly what Paul is doing here. Verse 13, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Love is the framework, is it not, for our faith? We're to love each other. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clamming, clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but don't have love, it profits me nothing. So we can do a lot of work, quote, for God. We can serve people. We can even lay down our lives, but if it's not done in love, what does it profit? Nothing. Nothing. So, Paul here is preparing the saints for battle. He's looking at the fact that in verse 13, that there is an adversary, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. We know that the devil is not only like a roaring lion, that's, that's overt in your face, right? But what else does he do? He's covert as well. He sneaks around waiting to pounce, doesn't he? He's planning. He's strategizing. It says, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Be strong. Isaiah 12.2 says, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord is the strength of it's my strength and my defense, and He has become my salvation. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And of course, 1 Peter 5.8 ends by saying, stand firm with strength. Now, we can't stand firm in our own flesh, and our own power, can we? We need the strength of the Lord, don't we? We need to ask Him for that strength, and He will give us that strength. When we ask, He will give us the confidence. He will give us the courage. He will give us the ability to push through. I'll tell you, the thing that bothers me the most and that unnerves me the most in my life, I think, is when I start seeing this providential cascade of negative things coming my way. One or two negative things are normal for me, but when I see five or six things building up on different layers and coming from different directions, it puts me on my knees quick. And I'm like, okay, God, are you trying to get my attention? Is there something I should be doing I'm not doing? That's where I always start, <laughs> okay? Because, Lord, you can go six deep, but you can also allow this thing to go 12 deep. And six is overwhelming to me. And I don't know that I can make it through the six, right? And I think that's what unnerves me the most, when you start seeing those things come at us. But it's when our back is in the corner that I've watched God do the biggest things in my life. 
when there's nowhere to go, when you've got so many things against you, God delights to come to our rescue, doesn't He? Doesn't He love us and care for us during those times? And He will rescue us. He will always rescue us. Now, sometimes He'll take us out of the situation, won't He? And man, I like that. That's sort of what I, I, I want that. And my flesh wants that. I want out, okay? But sometimes, like the, the disciples, he gets in the boat with us, doesn't he, during the storm. And sometimes he, he allows us to walk through those difficult circumstances. We don't like that as much, but at the same time, when we see his presence with us, and we know he's with us, and we feel his presence, and we know that we're getting through it because he's with us, it's pretty exciting, isn't it? It builds our faith, doesn't it? It builds our faith and our trust in Him, knowing that He's got our backs. So again, the first thing we looked at this morning is uh, the fact we should put aside what God has given us. We should plan ahead as the Lord wills. We should pave the way for other servants of the Lord. And number four, we should prepare the saints for battle. We should encourage one another in the battle. We should help one another in the battle. Let's look at verse 15. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for the ministry to the saints, that you, were, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Paul here is doing something interesting. He's praising the good works of the faithful servants of the Lord. He's looking out and seeing what people have done, these men have done. Uh, men and women, we'll see in the next verses as well. Uh, Priscilla is, is going to be in the next. Um, but he's praising what they've done. We're to look on what one another do for Christ, and not only are we to encourage one another and thank one another for those things we do, but we also should lift those things up and say, hey, you know, look what brother such and such has done for the Lord. Isn't that, is, isn't that something that we should aspire to? Or look what sister such and such has done for Christ. We need to aspire to what one another are doing in the Lord. Now, this is not to take away one another's reward. You know, we need to be careful. Some people like to serve back in the shadows. When they give, they don't want anybody to know it. When they serve, they don't want anybody to know it. But at the same time, I've also watched churches not do this at all. I've seen it. And it can, it can crush people year after year after year after year serving and never being acknowledged. And it's important that we be careful not to over-acknowledge but not to, to never acknowledge. We need to be careful because people are serving Christ faithfully and we need to make sure that we're encouraging each other. The day is evil. It's a rough time we live in and we need to be encouraged and we need to encourage one another to, to work and for the service of the Lord. So this is what Paul is doing. He's praising these folks and there's a pattern right here for us to do the same. Now, it's also saying in verse 16 to be subject to those who are working faithfully and laboring for Christ, okay? 
the church in Irmo, the Calvary Chapel Irmo, is subject to, to Pastor David, is subject to those leaders that are here. And they've earned, they should have, they, they've earned that respect. And um, at the same time, um, we uh, want to make sure that uh, we are subjecting ourselves. As they subject themselves to Christ, we subject ourselves to those who are in leadership. All right, so we see here Paul's praising the good works of others. Let's, uh, let's go on to uh, verse 19. We're going to finish up with this, this section. The churches of Asia greet you with Aquila and Prisca, some of your translations, the New International, the King James, and several others use the word uh, instead of the name, instead of Prisca, it's Priscilla. Now, Aquila and Priscilla rings a bell with probably many of you. These were the two that Paul worked with over in Ephesus, okay? Um, and they were tent makers as he was. They were doing the same trade that he's doing, okay? And they also were used to encourage a brother in Acts 18 who was erring and, and straying from what he should have been doing. And Priscilla and Aquila were able to teach him and get him back on track. Okay, so the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Now, the house churches back then were interesting. Um, they didn't have any buildings. They didn't have synagogue. They didn't have, uh, they had synagogues, but they didn't teach the Christians. The Christians didn't go into the synagogues and have their services in the synagogues. They met in homes, and they were typically homes, they said, in the great room that would fit about 30 people, according to what the scholars have, that I studied. About 30 people would be able to fit into a typical uh, middle-income, upper-middle-income house, and they would use those rooms to have their church services. And that's what he's saying here, with the church that is in their house. So Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers, but they made enough money with their tents in order to buy a home in order to have a church that met in their home. Now, typically, our houses aren't that size here. And even if they are, the rooms typically aren't big enough to hold a gathering this big right here. Now, you could build a two or 3,000-square-foot house and, and designate this much room for one room and have very small bedrooms, okay? <laughs> but typically, we don't need that because our culture has many commercial buildings available for our use. And, and it's legal to do that. Praise God. Praise God we don't have to meet in our homes. But it's, there's, there's things that, that happen in the home that, that, that can't happen a lot of times uh, in a corporate setting or in a, in a business setting, okay? There's, there's, and that's why we have small groups, and I really feel strongly about that. We should meet in small groups. We should meet in each other's homes. There's a, there's a familiar, a familial uh, uh, setting there. There's a place that you can let your hair down and share and share prayer requests, and you can do it here too, but corporately it's difficult, isn't it? If I opened it up for prayer requests right now, you could share, but there would be some of you who wouldn't share in this setting. Homes are are better for that. And I would guess that during the end times, as we go into that phase, and as Christians continue to be minimalized, got it, that we're going to return to home, home churches. 
So it's something that you need to think ahead, your, your children, grandchildren, and even in the next 30 years, it might be that we, we do have to build our homes to, to have people in them and to have church there, even in the United States of America. They have to do this in China now. They have to do this in many, many places. Iran, many places where there's uh, the Christian church, they can't do it corporately like this. Now, <clears throat> verse 20, all the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. Do you guys do that? <laughs> Not much? There's one brother over at church in Lexington who greets our, the brothers with a holy kiss. Anybody know who it is? Pastor Steve does? Does he? I haven't been kissed by Pastor Steve yet. <laughs> I'm not going to ask him either. <laughs> if he offers that, that's okay, but I'm not going to ask for a kiss. Uh, Joel Sapp, he, he, he does it. I've watched him kiss uh, uh, Pastor John, and he's kissed me once or twice. I have a brother that goes to a church in, uh, in Lexington, uh, uh, in Red Bank, Covenant Community Church, Robbie Jeffcoat. He's a dear friend, and he always greets me, kisses you right back here on the cheek. Um, and... Um, you know, it, it, it's a good thing. At the same time, it's not part of our culture, and it's not something I'm asking you to do. If the Lord leads you, go for it. <laughs> um, somebody was saying, though, that uh, we should do that not... Let's see, let me find it. If you greet, with an, if you greet one another with a holy kiss, make sure uh, it's done not hallow like Joab and Judas, he quotes, okay, not carnal as the harlot, okay, so not in a sensual way, that would be totally inappropriate, nor in, in, in a way that Judas did it with Jesus, um, that would be a deceptive way, trying to use it for something else, for another purpose, okay, so he wants it, again, to be what kind of a kiss? A holy kiss, that's right, that's right. Now, we do not want, let me just throw this in, we don't want to violate what the Scriptures teach about men touching women that aren't their wives either, okay? I do not recommend men kissing the other people's wives in the church. No, 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 okay? So you don't violate that. If you're going to kiss somebody, kiss another guy on the cheek, all right? <laughs> don't start kissing everybody else around here. All right, so we're going to get in trouble here, have some big trouble, all right? If you start coming and kissing my daughters, you know, no. It's a holy kiss, okay? It says for us to be careful with such things. And in the culture, I hate to have, I'm having to say this, but the culture we've lived through in the last four weeks or six weeks in the media, dealing with Harvey Weinstein and all these things that are coming out, brothers and sisters, we need to be an example of how to treat the sisters and how to treat the brothers in a holy way, a godly way a righteous way. Our children need to feel safe here. If our children are not safe within the body of Christ, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. We need our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews to be safe within the body of Christ, to be safe in one another's homes, cousins safe, okay? <laughs> 
I could go on and on about that. All right? Be careful. Make sure you check on the kids. Make sure they're protected within your house in those places when they're playing with one another. It's so important. I was the son of a missionary. My parents were overseas. When we came back, we came back to a missionary apartment complex. And I was physically abused as a three or four-year-old there by another missionary child that was much, much older than I. Okay? I'm just telling you. It happens within the Christian community. We need to watch our children and be careful to make sure our children are doing what's right with one another in the community. All right? Because all of that can lead to what we're seeing in the media right now, the craziness and all these people being called into account for inappropriate behavior. We don't want that in the body of Christ. We want this to be a godly, holy setting that people can feel safe and safe with their children. All right, lastly, uh, pray in line with the Scriptures. Paul says this, uh, this, the greeting, verse 21, is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul is calling on the Lord to give them grace. He's giving them his love in Christ. He's doing it in line with the Scriptures. Verse 22 as well is in line again with the Scriptures. He's not saying those who are not believers uh, send them to hell. He's saying those who are not believers, who have insisted on not being believers and have rejected the gospel message, that's what is going to happen to them. Okay, he's not losing his evangelistic heart here. Okay, he's just speaking about the justice of God that will occur on those who reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Okay, Maranatha, and that means Lord, come quickly. It's interesting. It's an Aramaic expression. Okay, this is written in Greek, but it's Aramaic, and they were very familiar with it. Lord, come, Lord quickly. Our Lord, come. And he finishes off again, wanting them to have grace, wanting them to have love. And this is a wonderful way to sign off on an email or sign off on a letter to, to, to leave a brother or sister when you're getting ready to depart. God's grace be with you. God's grace be with you. God's peace is another way to God's peace be with you. Shalom, peace. May you have peace, God's peace. Even though the circumstances are crazy, may you have the peace of God, His love, and His grace. Boy, we need His grace, don't we, brothers and sisters? We need His grace. So, all right, let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Paul. Thank You for these seven things that he did, Lord, that were so clear. An example for us, Lord, to... Be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Lord, these things. Lord, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his life. We thank you for transforming a murderer, Father, and making him into your image. Lord, thank you, Father, for his example of putting aside what you've given us, for, for planning ahead, Lord, for passing or paving the way for 
other servants of the Lord, like He demonstrated for us and showed us, for preparing the saints for battle, Father, for praising the good works of the brothers and sisters that were being faithful, for passing on the greetings to the family, and, and for praying, Lord, in line with Scripture. Lord, we thank You for our brother, and I pray, God, that we would learn from him and so do likewise. And I pray this in Jesus' name.